You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. When I was in college, I admired older preachers. They had such a profound influence on my life, and then when I went into the ministry, I allowed those men to influence me. And then God brought other men into my life, other seasoned men that added to that list. About the last one passed away. It would be this Tuesday, it would be a year ago. On this day a year ago, he was struggling so desperately to live. He pastored the same church in Walkertown, North Carolina, little country town, but it was a massive, massive church. The largest bus ministry in America with all those buses that he has. It's an amazing thing. Run by church lay people. He was a country preacher. He had an eighth grade graduation. His dad at age 39 died suddenly. And he went home and began to work in the fields with his brothers. That was Dr. Bobby Robertson. Just prior to his death, he was here preaching. Just like our dear friend, Dr. Raymond Hancock was right here preaching. And then short time there later, God took him. I miss Bobby Robertson so much. He really loved people. He loved the bus kids. Young people, if you could go to his huge property, hundreds of acres, and see all the buildings and the gymnasiums and the school buildings and the church buildings and auditorium, you'd see out there, out by the cemetery on their property, all the buses lined up everywhere. They go all over the Winston-Salem area, North Carolina, picking up boys and girls for Christ. He was a country preacher. It was an amazing thing. He didn't have a strong education. I am not making fun. Instead of saying twice, he would say twice. Instead of saying once, he would say once. He sometimes, you know, would hang the verbs or the nouns or wherever you hang, but he hung them. But he was a man of God. He had doctors and Nurses and airline pilots and CEOs and people in his church that were people renowned. They'd sit at his feet. They never looked and never made fun if he said twice. They knew he knew God. I was preaching there one time. I preached 25 years of 25 week-long revivals in that church. It's an amazing church. And I was preaching one time, and at the invitation, he said, Dear God, his prayer hangs up in the ready room when you go to college to preach. He says, help us to walk humbly before you. Help us to confess our sins and help us to be real. It was rare my wife would travel with me when I'd go to these meetings, but she was there, our kids were there. During that prayer, I took a three by five card out. I wrote that threefold prayer. The next Sunday, I said, I haven't studied a lot, but I know a man who lived this I want to live this same prayer that he prayed. That man loved people. 
I read a statement, honey, just a few weeks ago that when you lose somebody in life, whether through death or they walk away, part of you dies. I have thought of that statement in the last couple of weeks so many times. Whenever you lose someone in life, whether by life or death, young people, life is wonderful. It's the best. I want to live. But the older you get, you'll lose a lot of friends. I think of when I go out here to pray in the cemetery, and I see so many of your loved ones that we've laid to rest. Part of you dies. Part of me as a pastor or shepherd dies when I lay these people to rest. When I watch your kids grow up and leave here to go pastor churches and serve the Lord, we're excited, but part of us dies. We had three children, only one's left, and one boy is pastoring now in Arizona. When he left a few years ago with his four kids, part of us died. When our son-in-law went to Southern California and took five grandkids, part of us died. It will never be the same. When I watch, when I watch people change in direction and philosophy and brought up in a church with old-time religion, and all of a sudden churches turn into a nightclub and a dance band, part of me dies. When I see college graduates and so many around the globe are serving God and so faithful, but I watch them get hijacked by another movement, part of me dies. Life is full of experiences like that. And, and, and how do you conquer it? How do you conquer it when literally you're dying on the inside? Daylene just sang the pressure on that wheel. And that, that potter, as he's spinning that wheel, and it's taken from the book of Jeremiah, where she just sang, they put you all as clay on that wheel, and then the potter moves that wheel, and he begins to shape you with his hand. And the potter knows what he wants to do with your life, but some of the way that he shapes us is so painful. I reread the book, and Brother Reamer's ministry, the publications, uh, printed the book on the tragedy. That day when I'll never forget it, when Pastor Silva's wife and two kids and all the kids but one died in that van. You'll see the picture on the book. The only girl that lived was his daughter, only person that lived with his daughter, Charity. You see him at the grave there and the newspaper took a picture and the marker later when he's holding this little four-year-old girl and I had to tell her, mommy's not coming home and your brother's not coming home and your sister's not coming home. They've gone to live with Jesus. I promise you 36 years later and God's blessed his ministry and God brought a sweet godly Christian wife into his life and they had two kids that have grown since then. But that wound and sorrow will never go away. Some of you maybe have experienced this as teenagers. There's a wound, there's a sorrow. David's life, and let me be with this introduction a little bit longer and I'll get to where we're going with it, but David's life was full of that. So many experiences bring us such grief, such heartache, such wound. I think of, I was just a little shepherd boy and 
he was stretching one day and his dad said, son, I want you to leave here and I want you to go see your brothers. They're out there and I want you to take them these things. And when he got there, he heard this Goliath giant defying the armies of Israel. And he said, is there not a cause? Here's his older brother, Eliab. He said, I know the naughtiness of thy heart. Where are those little sheep you're taking care of? Go back home. You know, some of you in this room have been betrayed by a brother or a sister. And it's a wound that uh, perhaps sometimes you just say, it's just there all the time. What my sister said, what she did to me, what my brother said, what he did to me. And then to add to that, when he rose to power, David's now serving the king, King Saul. King Saul, who later became his father-in-law. The Bible says that he became jealous of David and he eyed David. And he took a javelin and at the banquet table where they sat and ate dinner, he threw a javelin and, and David moved and he did it two other times and he moved and he almost got, he had to flee. And so now his brothers betray him and now he's serving the king and he betrays him. And the king says, I'll tell you what I'm gonna do. I'll get him. I'm gonna give him Michael, my daughter, for his wife. She'll be a snare to him. What a reputation for a woman. And the Bible says that of Michael, though she did love him, it says later in the scriptures that she despised David. Can you imagine coming home from work and your wife despises you? Can you imagine coming into the house and your husband despises you? And so now he's been rejected by his brothers. He's been rejected and attempt murdered by the king. And now his wife is a snare to him and she despises him, like to spit on him. And maybe you've experienced that in a marriage and your husband has left or your wife has left. Or maybe you're living in that situation right now. I'm just despised. Well, I'm no value in this home. I'm, there's nothing good in my life. But th that my wife doesn't want my, my husband. My kids don't want me. But it doesn't stop. In his despair, he had been in all the battles, but he stayed home this time. In 2 Kings 11, in 2 Samuel 11, he, he decided to stay home, but he couldn't sleep, and he you know this story. He's walking on the wall of the city and he looks down and he sees a woman bathing herself by the name of Bathsheba and he took her for himself, but she was another man's wife and he committed adultery. And now he lives with the pain of what he did to himself. He had the pain from his brothers. He had the pain from Saul. He had the pain from his wife and now he lives in adultery and he says in Psalm 51, my sin is ever before me. And against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this iniquity in my heart. All of us have had sin in our life. It's amazing how sin will haunt us day after day. We'll confess it, but it still haunts us. I think of then as children. And you get to chapter 13 of the book of 2 Samuel. Uh, Amnon, come on in. Amnon had a friend. Amnon and Absalom and Tamar were half-brothers and sisters from two marriages. And Amnon fell in love with his half-sister, which is sin. And his brother said, make yourself sick. His cousin did. Make yourself sick. And 
get her into your room and then you do with her what you want to do. And he did it and she, he forced her and she said, we ought not to do this, no! Instead of crying out to her dad, she yielded to him and then he hated her with such a hatred. And now David's got his children. His one brother was watching all this take place. He heard of it later. He waited two years. His name was Absalom. Absalom said, I'm going to get my stepbrother for doing this to my sister. And he got him one day and killed his own stepbrother. And here's a man, a man who was rejected by his brothers, rejected by the king, rejected by his wife. He rejected himself when he committed adultery. Now his kids are killing one another. You talk about a life that's reeling out of control. And then he had his closest friends, Ahithophel. Ahithophel, what a name, who by the way was Bathsheba's grandfather. And he was a trusted friend even through all the mess of David and his granddaughter's life. But when he got an opportunity later in life, he said, I'll kill him. And he wanted to kill David and Hushai and all of these turned their back, his own inner circle, his, his cabinet of leaders, all when he was king, turned on him. What a life. But now it's payback. And we get to our text in chapter number 18. We introduce Absalom. It was Absalom in chapter 15 who stole the hearts of the people. He had an insurrection against his dad with the king. He tried to kill his own dad. The king, verse 33 the king was much moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and he wept. You know, let me stop there. As he's weeping, he had to be thinking, my life, my life is such a ruin. My brothers, Saul, who's now dead, and Jonathan, my best friend who died on Mount Gilboa, and then my wife, and then myself, and then my children, and then my closest friends, and now my son is trying to kill me. But they came back and said, he's dead, and oh, look what he says. Oh, my son, verse 33. Oh, my son, Absalom. My son, my son, son Absalom. What God? I died for thee. In the midst of all your heartache, I suggest to us today one word, and that's love. Love is the key. Love is supreme. Sweeter it grows, more glory it bestows. Bright as the sun ever it glows, love is the key. I went to a pastor's conference in 1977. Nobody knew me. Later, I preached at that conference. Thousands upon thousands of preachers there. But that night, I sat in the back. And that week, I sat in the back. No one knew who I was. I was just a young kid from California starting this church. That week, the theme was love. 
And that pastor encouraged us, stop going home and trying to get things out of your people. Go home and love your people and express it to your people and demonstrate it to your people. That was 42 years ago. And at first, there was never a Sunday night. I never, ever have dismissed the church on a Sunday night without saying, I love you. Now I have to do it every service. Because life goes so fast, I don't know if this is the last Sunday morning or Wednesday night's the last Wednesday night or Sunday night's the last. And I wanted to know my wife and I never leave one another's presence without, I love you. Our kids, when they're in our home and still when we talk, I, I love you. I love you, Papa, the grandkids say, all 13 of them. I, I want this church to know that you had a pastor, you have a pastor that loves you with all his heart. And the Bible says, love covereth a multitude of sins. Joseph was so betrayed by his brothers and now he's in power in Egypt and in power in Egypt, they didn't recognize who he was. But he said, you meant it for bad when you sold me into slavery and bondage. But God made it for good so that I might take care of you. Nothing in this world is so bad that love could not conquer it. What America needs is not anarchy in the streets. What America needs is not blasting one another on the internet and social media. What America needs and what our homes need is not this thing of I'm just gonna say my peace and that's the way I am and you're gonna have to get over it. No, but if we could go back home and love that little boy and love that little girl and love that teenage son who might be rebelling and that teenage daughter and love them in Jesus' name, not so necessarily we can change or would like to see them change, but to see what God might do, not what you would do. For God so loved the world that was written by a man that was hanging on a cross. And the thieves were by him and they jeered him and they scoffed him and they mocked him and they put him on that cross and he died for our sins and they said, Father, forgive them. How was love demonstrated? Just by what I said, by forgiveness. Notice how he says, would to God, I'd have died for thee, O Absalom. Love allows you to be hurt by others. Love allows you to be able to say, I can forgive someone else. And here is Jesus at Calvary said, I forgive them. And here is a father saying, oh God, oh God, would it have been me? He had already forgiven them back in chapter 15 of all of his nonsense. Who is it today that's wronged you so badly? You cannot move forward in your life, and neither can I. We cannot move forward in our life experience until we have dealt with our past. My wife and I were teaching a class on the home now in the school, but in college several years ago, we taught a, a similar class, different material. And I remember introducing to the young people narcissism, where it's a parent-centered home, it's all gotta be for me and you gotta perform son for me, you gotta make good for me so I look good, everything's about me. But that's not what love is all about. Love defers ourselves and honors someone else. And I find that there are so many that come from narcissistic homes 
your dad's strange behavior, your mom. I'm not suggesting we accept the behavior. I am suggesting we accept the person just right where they're at. For God so loved, he loved the, what we would call the righteous, but there is no righteous. He loved the sinner. He loved the enemy that put him on the cross. And there must come a point where you say, I will forgive. So I said to our young people in that class, I said, so many of you have had a terrible home and your mother's been mean or your father's been mean or your parents have been mean or one's been nice. I don't know the environment, but you've come from a home that's not structured properly. There's anger in the home. There's meanness in the home. There's swearing in the home. And so your thought is, I'll come to Bible college. I'll find a girl. I'll find a young man. We'll get married and it settles it. It compounds it because you haven't dealt with this. You cannot move forward in your life wherever you are today. If you're building your life off the rubble of hurt, if you're building your life off the rubble of bitterness and envy and strife and, and frustration and an unforgiving spirit, I'll never forgive him. I'll never forgive her. I'll never move forward. Sometimes the person you're so mad at doesn't even know they hurt you. I've had people, one time years ago, 40 years ago, I had a lady come down the aisle in the invitation time, and she said, Pastor, I just want to let you know I forgive you. And I was trying to be a good pastor. My wife loved it. I said, uh, okay. I didn't even know. And she said, well, you, you really offended me. Oh, we're helping matters right now. You know, you don't need to go tell somebody you're forgiven them. They have no idea what you're talking about. But you do have to get right with God in your heart toward that person that you're bitter at. I wonder why we sit here in this auditorium, why I stand and you sit. You know, we ought to reverse this some week. You ought to stand and I ought to sit. I just had a brainstorm right there. We'll try it next week. But right now in this auditorium, as I stand and you sit, I wonder is there someone you need to say, I, I want you to forgive me. I've often thought of that there's so many preacher friends that preach here, but I, several I could give illustration. I think of Brother Johnson, how he had, I think, seven fathers and seven mothers in his life. Steps, mothers, stepfathers. And the one was so vicious, he'd come home drunk and he'd be under the bed. And as he got older, he'd pull him out and beat him at night. And he said, one day I'm gonna kill that man. I can't wait. And as a teenager, he became so rebellious. As a young man, became so rebellious. He said, I'll tell you what I'm gonna do to take out this rebellion. I'm gonna go where there's no rules. He joined the Marine Corps. You know, that man had to come to a point, he's a great pastor for 40 years now. That man had to come to a point where he forgave every single parent that was in his life, mothers and fathers. And for the wrong and the abuse and the heartache that they put him through. If I'm really gonna love people, I have to forgive first. I have to forgive myself and I have to forgive others.
And my Bible speaks of love in this regard. Secondly, I must literally work at, after I've forgiven this person or this situation, I need to restore. Galatians 6.1, if you've been overtaught, if someone's been overtaken in a fault, ye that are spiritual, restore. Who is it you have to restore? It was this time, just in the last couple of years, one year I watched my mother die and then I watched my dad die. And you know, as I saw those sweet old people, I saw their pictures today in the house. I'm glad I didn't have to get anything right with my dad and say, Dad, I'm so sorry. I was not a perfect son. But I think I can tell you this, I tried more even as an adult than I did as a child to be a perfect son. I admired that sweet, dear old man so much. He'd sit right over there with my sweet mother. I never wanted to hurt him. Some of you did not have that experience like I've had. Some of you have had hard situations. But I tell you, you can come to the point of not only forgiving, but restoring. Mom, we want you to come for Christmas and stay with us. Dad, we want you to come. I want you to be part of our lives. I want you to be proud of your grandkids. This church ought to be a restoration point for people, wounded people, hurting people, sorrowful people. A lot of these bus kids come from good homes, I know, but a lot of you come from situations that are hard. I call those buses wheels of mercy. They go out, mercy shows pity and concern and empathy for the lives of others. And these teenagers here, God bless you, you woke yourself up this morning. You got on the bus and came to the house of God. Hey, I want to say this church, when we get so big and mighty that we stop thinking about the needs of people, we'll cease to be a church. And then I find that if I love someone, not only do I forgive, and not only do I restore, but I continually forgive. Because Peter said, now how often am I supposed to give? The Jews were to forgive three times. How, he, he thought he would do I forgive seven times? And Jesus said, you forgive 70 times 70. Almost 500 times, you just keep forgiving. Just keep it up. Just keep it up. Because an unforgiving spirit and a bitter heart always destroys its own container. We sing nothing between my soul and my Savior. We have tried our whole entire marriage all these many years. The Bible says, let not the sun go down on that wrath. And at night, we pray together. To the best of my ability, and I know her, best of her ability, we're not going to go to bed bad at one another. I don't want to have a bad spirit for her. I don't want a bad spirit toward our children and their mates and our grandkids. I don't want there to be anything that stops that flow of God speaking to my heart that the choir sang about today. Because there's 
bottled up there with unforgiveness. It's bottled up there with bitterness. It's bottled up with hurt. Oh, yes, did you notice when someone dies, part of you dies? Yes, that's true. But you make sure it's part of you that's dying, not part of someone else because of the actions that we impose on others. Well, Absalom, one of the most tragic verses you read in the Bible. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son, Oh, absent my son, my son. Would to God I die for thee. I miss my son, our son, so much. He was nine pounds when he was born, right here in his bedroom in our house, right around the corner. Ah, he was a great kid. And he's short. He said, Dad, I want to get taller. I said, Well, you will. He goes, Nope. Mom's dad's shorter and your dad's shorter. I said, you'll, you'll get, and he grew up to be about 6'2", six 6'3". Six I don't hold him in my arms anymore. I hold him so much in my heart. In those days, he would preach here on the first Sunday morning and the first Sunday night and the third Sunday morning. I loved it. Those days are gone. When he moved out of town, Part of me died. It will never be the same. When those five little grandkids went to Los Angeles, I'll never forget that day in August a few years ago. I'd never cried harder in my life. And we kissed them goodbye. I began to walk on these roads over here. Wailing before God, I saw those five grandkids. Life is full of a lot of experiences where you die. But don't be responsible for causing someone else to die. Our Father, I pray that we'd be a people that loves people. This world's trying to legislate how we love one another. Oh, we'll never love one another until we learn to love God so we can love our neighbor as ourselves. I wonder this morning how many of you are here without Christ. Say, Brother Trevor, if I died today, I'm not even sure I'd go to heaven. I'd like to know I'm on my way to heaven. That happened many years ago for me. He said, Brother Trevor, I'm not absolutely sure. I'll not come see you. I'll not send someone to you. I'll not ask you your name. But between you and me and God, Brother Trevor, I'm not sure if I died, I'd go to heaven. All of the houses should be hands in a moment. You raise them up. No one looking. I need to be saved. I do know that. I want to be saved. I want to know heaven's my home one day. Pray for me. Would you slip your hands up all over the house? Thank you. Thank you. Who else? Would you raise your hand? I need to, I want to be saved. I want to know heaven's my home. I wonder, and I'll not ask you to raise your hand, but I wonder if there's someone you need to forgive. Just cancel it. Cancel the debt. Just cancel it. Forgive it. Paid in full. I'd like you to come and kneel at this altar and pray. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. 
May God bless you as you serve Him this week.